Well, it's not the whole Bible, but it is 33 verses this morning, so the Bible stick. If you turn to Acts chapter 10, we'll be reading Acts chapter 10, verses 1 through 33. It's on page 634 in the Pew Bible in front of you if you need to grab one of those. Pastor Bruce continues the sermon series, Let Them Hear, with today's topic, Let All Peoples Hear. And we'll be using Acts chapter 10, verses 1 through 33 as our text. So please listen as I read from God's Word. There was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius, a centurion of what was called the Italian Regiment, a devout man and one who feared God with all his household, who gave alms generously to the people and prayed to God always. About the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God coming in and saying to him, Cornelius. When he observed him, he was afraid and said, What is it, Lord? So he said to him, Your prayers and your alms have come up for a memorial before God. Now send men to Joppa and send for Simon, whose surname is Peter. He is lodging with Simon, a tanner, whose house is by the sea. He will tell you what you must do. And when the angel who spoke to him had departed, Cornelius called two of his household servants and a devout soldier from among those who waited on him continually. So when he had explained all these things to them, he sent them to Joppa. The next day, as they went on their journey and drew near the city, Peter went up on the housetop to pray about the sixth hour. Then he became very hungry and wanted to eat, but while they made ready, he fell into a trance and saw heaven opened up like an object, like a great sheet bound four corners, descending to him and let down to the earth. In it were all kinds of four-footed animals of the earth, wild beasts, creeping things, and birds of the air. And a voice came to him, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, Not so, Lord, for I have never eaten anything common or unclean. And a voice spoke to him again the second time, What God has cleansed you must not call common. This was done three times, and the object was taken up into heaven again. Now while Peter wandered within himself what this vision which he had seen meant, behold, the man who had been sent from Cornelius had made inquiry for Simon's house and stood before the gate. And they called and asked whether Simon, whose surname was Peter, was lodging there. While Peter thought about the vision, the Spirit said to him, Behold, three men are seeking you. Arise, therefore, go down and go with them, doubting nothing, for I have sent them. Then Peter went down to the men who had been sent to him from Cornelius and said, Yes, I am he whom you seek. For what reason have you come? And they said, Cornelius the centurion, a just man, one who fears God and has a good reputation among all the nation of the Jews, was divinely instructed by a holy angel to summon you to his house and to hear words from you. Then he invited them in and lodged them. On the next day, Peter went away with them, and some brethren from Joppa accompanied him. And the following day, they entered Caesarea, and Cornelius was waiting for them, and they had called together his relatives and close friends. As Peter was coming in, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter lifted him up, saying, Stand up, I myself am also a man. And as he talked with him, he went in and found many who had come together. And he said to them, You know how unlawful it is for a Jewish man to keep company with or go and Go to one another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any man common or unclean. Therefore I came without objection as soon as I was sent for. I asked then, for what reason have you sent for me? So Cornelius said, Four days ago I was fasting until this hour, and at the ninth hour I prayed in my house, and behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing, and said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard, and your alms are remembered in the sight of God. Send therefore to Joppa and call Simon here whose surname is Peter. He is lodging in the house of Simon a tanner by the sea. When he comes, he will speak to you. So I sent to you immediately, and you have done well to come. 
Now therefore we are all we are all present before God to hear all the things commanded you by God. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that we can hear that you've that you've called, that you've sent your son, you have your word that we can read and we can we could hear uh, your word. And we ask that you would open our hearts and minds to hear what you would have for us to hear today and that our we would be changed and we would grow stronger in our relationship with you to let the peoples hear. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, Zach, for leading us in that scripture reading. And uh, I really appreciate that because, man, that's just a great passage that we just read. In fact, uh, let me just say up front, what you just heard Zach read is probably the defining, pivotal moment in the church of uh, Acts here, in the whole book of Acts, in church history even. This is the pivotal chapter. Acts chapter 10, and what is taking place here is monumental. And you're probably wondering about now, well, how is that? Why is that? Just hold that thought, because I will explain that in just a minute. But by way of introduction and way of getting to that point, let me ask this question first. How many of you are really good, well, maybe you're just so, so good at multitasking? How many are good at multitasking? Raise your hand. All right, some of you. Some of you are like, ah, I'm terrible at multitasking. Well, Amanda McMillan writes on health.com, we all do it, texting while walking, sending emails during meetings, chatting on the phone while cooking dinner. In today's society, doing just one thing at a time seems downright luxurious, even wasteful. So you may think you're a master at multitasking, but in reality... You're probably not. The reason is simple. Our brains weren't built to multitask. In fact, our brains are designed to focus on one thing at a time, and so bombarding them with information only slows them down. And so although it may feel like you're doing multiple things at once, the reality is that your brain is just switching back and forth very quickly. According to an article from CNN.com, your brain can switch its focus in just a tenth of a second. But what happens when you do this is that your overall ability to do each task drops by close to, get this, 40%. So chances are, you're not really that good at checking Facebook while cooking dinner, while folding laundry, while doing homework. That's why dinner is sometimes burnt, laundry is wrinkled, and the homework is wrong. We are designed to do only one thing at a time. In comparison, though, our God is the ultimate multitasker. At every moment, our God is multitasking this entire world, accomplishing His purpose to redeem all peoples in the world. And that's what God is doing here in Acts 10, where the gospel spreads from Jews to Gentiles. And to accomplish this purpose, God works in the lives of two men. He works in the life of Peter, who is Jewish. And then He works in the life of Cornelius, who is a Gentile. And God had to prepare Peter to bring the gospel to Cornelius. And God had to prepare Cornelius 
to hear the gospel from Peter. And so Peter was staying at Joppa on the Mediterranean coast, while Cornelius was staying about 30 miles north in a city called Caesarea. And behind the scenes of both these guys, God is multitasking the events to bring both these men together in a way that will forever change the course of Christianity around the world. It's for this reason that Acts 10, this chapter we're going to look at, this chapter we just heard, it is the most important chapter in the whole book of Acts. In fact, Luke, the author, the writer of Acts, seemed to think so too. In fact, he tells this story twice in a row. He tells it in Acts 10, and then he tells it again in Acts chapter 11. And so God is doing something big here in this chapter. God is opening the door of the gospel to the Gentiles, which, by the way, includes all peoples outside the people of God, the Jewish people. And so you've got the Jews, and then you've got all the other peoples of the world, and they're Gentiles. One author points out why Acts 10 is such a big deal, and I quote his words. He says, most of us in the church today are from a Gentile background, but we are included because of what took place in Cornelius' household in Caesarea. And so, as we sit here this morning, as we hear the words being read to us out of the scriptures of Acts 10, listen, I hope you are thankful and grateful for what God did in the life of Peter and Cornelius here. Because through them, God has opened the gospel to you and to me and to all peoples in the world. In fact, notice the big idea here of Acts 10. See it for yourself. See it on the screen behind me. The gospel of Jesus Christ is for all peoples regardless of ethnic identity. Therefore, or so, let all peoples hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what Acts 10 is all about. From the beginning, it was God's plan to redeem all peoples so that he would be glorified among all nations. At the dawn of history, God tells Abraham in Genesis chapter 12, verses 2 and 3, I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. And I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you I will curse. And all peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. And then at the beginning of the church here, we see God's recommitment to this promise when Jesus says to his disciples in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And so the gospel was to be 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 proclaimed in an ever-widening circle starting in Jerusalem, moving out to Judea and Samaria, and then moving out towards the ends of the earth. And that's exactly what's happening here in the book of Acts. Listen, the disciples first proclaimed the gospel in Jerusalem, and then they proclaimed the gospel in Judea and Samaria when they were scattered under the persecution of Saul. And now is God's plan. 
is God's purpose for the gospel to spread to the ends of the earth to all peoples. And according to Revelation 5.9, God's heart, God's desire is to redeem people from every tongue, tribe, and nation. And so there's no way that the gospel is going to get stuck. There's no way God's going to let that happen here in Acts. God works here in the life of Peter and in the life of Cornelius so that all peoples will hear the gospel. Now, what do we learn from this? That's the big idea of this chapter and even of the book of Acts. So what do we take away from it? How does this, how does this apply to me? How does this apply to you now? So what should we learn? Well, there's one thing we should learn from Cornelius. And we learn that God wants to save all peoples in the world. There's also something we learn from the life of Peter here, and that is that God wants to send us to all peoples in the world. So let's look at it. Let's dive into it. Let's break it down for a few minutes here this morning. Look at number one. God wants to save all peoples in the world. Aren't you thankful that the gospel is for all peoples, regardless of ethnic identity? Aren't you thankful for that? No one, no one is excluded from God's grace and mercy in Jesus Christ. No wonder Paul's passion was to let all peoples hear the gospel when he writes in Romans chapter 1, verse 16, for I am not ashamed of that gospel. Why? Because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first, but also to the Gentiles. And that's what we see here. Acts 10 begins by turning our focus from Joppa, where Peter is, to the city of Caesarea. It was located about 65 miles north of Jerusalem, and it was inhabited by a large number of Gentiles. It was a place that was probably off the radar of the church in Jerusalem, but folks, it was on God's radar. It was in God's heart, because God wanted to save these people, and specifically, He wanted to save a man by the name of Cornelius. Look at this. God wants to save a person. Who is that person? It's Cornelius. You say, well, who's Cornelius? Well, we know from verse 1 that Cornelius was a centurion. He was a centurion in the Italian regiment. And as a centurion, Cornelius would have been a captain of any, anywhere of a 100 to uh, 80 or 100 soldiers, which was a position that provided him with power and wealth. Centurions were usually Roman soldiers who had worked their way up through the ranks. And yet, and yet it's, it's not Cornelius' rank but his religion that Luke wants us to take notice of here. Look at verse 2. Look what Luke tells us about this man, Cornelius. He was a devout man, and one who feared God with all his household. What did that look like? Who gave alms generously to the people and prayed to God always. This simply means that this man, Cornelius, he had left his pagan religion, and now he was living in a God-fearing way through uh, the Jewish religion. Although he, he did not become a full convert to Judaism. He was not circumcised. And so he was adopting uh, some of the Jewish traditions, and, 
in customs and in trying to seek God and worship God through the Jewish religion. So Cornelius, though, he was a good man. He was a very good man who sought to worship God, who, who tried to live a moral life and, and was doing good works. In fact, Luke tells us that Cornelius prayed to God always. And while he was praying one day, God answered him in a vision through an angel. And what was God's answer? Well, notice what it says in verses 4 through 6. The angel of God tells Cornelius, your prayers and your alms have come up for a memorial before God. Now send men to Joppa and send for Simon, whose surname is Peter. He is lodging with Simon, a tanner, whose house is by the sea, and he will tell you what you must do. So God commanded Cornelius to send for Peter, and Peter now will come, and he will tell you, Cornelius, in your household, he will tell you what you've got to do, and he will tell you all about Jesus Christ. Cornelius doesn't hesitate. I love that about this man. As a Roman centurion, let me tell you, he commanded soldiers. And as a soldier commander, when he gave a command, what did his men do? The expectation was they were to obey immediately. And now he is being commanded by God, go, send men to Peter. Fetch Peter, bring him back to your house so you can hear what he has to say about Jesus. So you know what you must do to be saved. And Cornelius doesn't hesitate. He immediately responded to God's calling and he sent two of his servants and a soldier for Peter. And here's what I want you to see about this person that God wanted to save in Caesarea. Cornelius was a good man. He is a good man. But folks, make no mistake about it, he still needed to be saved. He still needed to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. Cornelius was religious, but he was not yet redeemed. He had offered his prayers and alms before God, but what he needed most was what only God could offer him, forgiveness of sins and eternal life in Jesus Christ. Cornelius needed to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ, and God was preparing him to hear the gospel through Peter. And perhaps like Cornelius, perhaps you're here this morning, and all you really have is religion. Perhaps like Cornelius, you consider, and maybe even others consider you a good person. You try to do what's right. You try to live morally in some ways. You give to charities. You give to the poor. You serve people. You do whatever. You go to church. You give your offerings. You even say a prayer. And like Cornelius, you're even really sincere about all of that. And like Cornelius, you still need to be saved. You still need Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Listen, what you offer God is not enough. It is what God has offered you in Jesus that you need most. And thankfully, like Cornelius, God wants to save you too. When we open up our hearts to God, when we hear the gospel, and when we repent of our sin, when we confess that, and by faith believe in Jesus Christ, God saves us. It is a miracle. We've looked at this miracle of salvation already in the book of Acts. And it is a wonderful miracle that God saves a person 
by grace through faith in Jesus Christ alone. Is that you here this morning? Are you a good person and yet you still need to be saved? Just like Cornelius. What we see later in the story is that God not only wants to save a person, but God wants to save a people. He wants to save the Gentiles. Cornelius is just the first of many, many, many Gentiles that God wants to save all over the world. Before Peter made it to Caesarea, verse 20, if you drop down to verse 24, it says that Cornelius, uh, when Peter came there, he had gathered together his relatives and close friends. And so God wanted to save more than just Cornelius. He wanted to save a whole house full of people just like Cornelius. And beyond that house full of people, God was working to save a lot more people like them. Namely, Gentiles from people groups all across the world. Now, we just learned a few weeks ago in our World Outreach Celebration that there are over 7 billion people living in this world today. We know very few of them, but our God knows every last one of them, and he wants to save them. Our God is a global God, and the gospel is a global gospel, and so all over this world there are people that our God wants to save. Now we know everyone in the world will not be saved. You say, why is that? Because everyone in the world will not respond to God's offer of salvation in Jesus Christ. But we also know that God will save many, many, many people from all the people groups in the world because many, many, many people will respond to the gospel when they hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so God's heart, God's desire is to save all peoples in the world. And this is why that God calls us to let all peoples hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. Which leads us to the second thing we see going on. We see God doing here in Acts 10. God wants to send us to all peoples in the world. While God was working in Caesarea in Cornelius' life, God started working in Joppa in Peter's life. God is multitasking. He's working in Cornelius' life in Caesarea, and he's working in Peter's life in Joppa, and he's doing it at the same time. Our God is amazing, is he not? God wanted to save Cornelius, and God wanted to send Peter to Cornelius so he could hear the gospel about Jesus Christ. But before Peter would talk to Cornelius, let me tell you, God had to talk to Peter. You say, why is that? Because something really big Something monumental was standing in the way of Peter going to Cornelius to let him hear the gospel. And perhaps there is something standing in the way of you going to all peoples to let them hear the gospel. Perhaps there's something standing in the way of you going to a neighbor. Perhaps there's something standing in the way of you going to a co-worker. Or someone down the street, someone who, who plays on a, on a sports team or, or whatever with your kids. Whoever it may be, perhaps there is something that is standing in the way of you going and you letting someone hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
What stands in the way of going to all peoples? Well, for Peter, notice this in your notes, for Peter, it was his prejudice against Gentiles. Have you ever noticed that the guy driving slower than you is always inconsiderate and oblivious that you're in a hurry? And you have important places to go, important people to meet. While the guy driving faster than you and races past you is always a maniac. Because of our sin nature, listen to me, we're all, we're all prone to justify ourselves. And we're all prone to condemn those who are different than we are. We struggle with preconceived opinions of people that are derived from unfounded judgments about people. As one pastor put it, the reason we have skin issues is because we have sin issues. I think he was right on. In other words, we're all prone toward prejudice in some form or another because we're all prone towards sin. And for Peter, it was his racial and religious prejudice against Gentiles that was standing in the way of him going to Cornelius and to let him hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, it's somewhat difficult for us here this morning to comprehend the massive gulf that separated Jews and Gentiles in Peter's day. Not that the Old Testament ever promoted such a divide. On the contrary, God spoke of a day when His blessings would extend to all peoples through His chosen people, the Jews. We read about that in Genesis 12. It started with Abraham. Do you realize that Abraham was a pagan? He, he, he was not even a Jew then when God called him. When God chose Abraham, he chose him for no good reason at all, except out of God's love and grace and mercy, God chose him. But over time, the Jews took their position as God's chosen people, and they twisted it into this position of favoritism, causing them to kind of look down on Gentiles and to develop their own traditions, which kept them separated from one another. And as you might imagine, this resulted in severe racial and religious prejudice against Gentiles. In fact, let me just give you an example of this, what it looked like. Jews despised Gentiles as dogs. They considered them and their food to be unclean. And so no pious Jew would ever enter the home of a Gentile or ever invite a Gentile into his home. No pious Jew would eat at the same table with a Gentile. No pious Jew would even eat with utensils that were made by Gentile hands unless they were first cleansed. And so no doubt Peter understood the Gentiles, oh yes, they could become Christians. They could follow Christ. They could follow God. But he probably believed they first had to become Jewish converts. In reality, Peter was raised to believe in a form of salvation by race plus grace. But God was going to teach Peter the biggest lesson in his life that grace trumps race. 
This is why John Stott, one commentator in the book of Acts, says the principal subject of this chapter is not so much the conversion of Cornelius as much as it is the conversion of Peter himself. Not conversion of salvation, but a conversion to an open mind that understands the gospel is for all peoples. So how would God deal with Peter on this issue? How would God begin to break down Peter's prejudice against Gentiles? Well, God confronts Peter in a vision. He does so in a vision. But understand, notice this in your notes, the vision is not really about food. The vision is all about people. Remember, Cornelius has sent three men to Joppa to find Peter. And as they were getting into town the next day, Peter was going up to the housetop to pray. And during Peter's time of prayer, Peter became hungry and he fell into a trance in which God spoke to him through a vision involving food, except it was really a lesson about people. So what did Peter see in this vision? What did Peter hear in this vision? Well, look at it again, verses 11 and 12. It says, Peter saw heaven open in an object like a great sheet bound at four corners, descending to him and let down to the earth. In it were all kinds of four-footed animals of the earth, wild beasts, creeping things, and birds of the air. And so the unclean animals that Peter saw in this great sheet, let me tell you, it was enough to disgust any Jew. And yet, having seen the vision, Peter now heard a voice that would shock any Jew in verse 13, when God, through the angel, tells Peter, Rise, Peter! Kill and eat. Kill and eat what? The animals that are in the sheet coming down. Which Peter considered disgusting. There were things in that sheet Peter would never eat, no matter how hungry he was. And so Peter responds in verse 14, Not so, Lord. Basically, he's telling God, not a chance. For I have never eaten anything common or unclean. But then God spoke to him again in verse 15. What God has cleansed, you must not call common. Verse 16 says this was done three times. And the object was then taken up into heaven again. Now, how many of you typically tend to be your, and this isn't a negative thing, don't think that, but you're, you know, you're a little slow in connecting the dots in life, putting things together, you know, Okay, I, I, thank you for one, one brave heart out there. There's a few. So if you're one here who is just a little slow in connecting the dots, then you will appreciate how this vision left Peter a little perplexed. I love how real Luke is and how real the Bible is, especially here when Luke describes Peter's perplexion over this vision. Look what it says. In verse 17, it says, Now Peter, now while Peter wandered within himself what this vision which he had seen meant, behold, the men who had been sent from Cornelius had made inquiry for Simon's house and stood before the gate. That word wandered there. It says Peter, he wandered within himself what this vision meant. And that word wandered means inwardly perplexed. It's the idea that Peter was completely at a loss. He has no clue what this vision is, what it means, what God is telling. 
He's, he's completely at a loss. In Peter's mind, showing respect to a Gentile like Cornelius, listen, that's one thing, but eating with him in his home, that was unthinkable. And yet, that seems to be what God is asking him to do. And Peter doesn't understand this. He's not connecting the dots yet. And so the timing of Cornelius' three men arriving at Simon's house set the stage for Peter now to begin to connect the dots of this vision. Listen, it was not a coincidence that the sheet was lowered three times and there are three men knocking at the house. It was not a coincidence that the men arrived immediately after the vision was taken up to heaven. And it was not a coincidence what the Spirit of God said to Peter while he was still wondering what all this meant. In fact, look at it in verse 19 through 20. It says, Behold, three men are seeking you. This is the Spirit of God speaking to Peter. Arise, therefore, go down and go with them, doubting nothing, for I have sent them. Now what's interesting is the phrase, doubting nothing, means making no distinction. It can be translated or, or has the idea of making no discrimination. In other words, the Spirit is telling Peter here to go with these three Gentiles to Cornelius' house and to do so without making any distinction or without making any discrimination between Jews and Gentiles. Why? Why is this a big deal now? Well, if you go back to the Law of Moses in the Old Testament, the Law of Moses there was, a, was a, almost like a dividing wall between Jews and Gentiles. But this wall, here's the glorious news, this wall that stood in the way for hundreds of years has now been broken down at the cross of Jesus Christ. And so now God declares, God announces that when it comes to Jews and Gentiles, that there's no difference between us. There's no distinction either in our sin or in our salvation in Jesus Christ. And so God was teaching Peter something about people. That grace trumps race. God was breaking down Peter's prejudice and teaching him that even people who are different than him Different in heritage and history. Different in class and culture. Different in race and religion. The gospel is for those people too. Maybe you need to learn the same thing that Peter had to learn. That the gospel is for all peoples in the world. So what would Peter do? What would Peter do? Would Peter hold on to his prejudice? Or would he trust God and obey the Spirit? Well, let's find out. Look at it in verse 21. It says, Then Peter went down to the men who had been sent to him from Cornelius and said, Yes, I am he whom you seek. For what reason have you come? And they said, Cornelius, a centurion, a just man, one who fears God and has a good reputation among all the nation of the Jews, was divinely instructed by a holy angel to summon you to his house and to hear words from you. So what would Peter do now? Verse 23 says, Then he invited them in and lodged them. On the next day, Peter went away with them, and some brethren from Joppa accompanied him. Folks, this 
was another pivotal moment in Peter's life. Now, all through Peter's life, he's had several pivotal moments. This, perhaps, is the biggest pivotal moment in his life. Notice this. Why is this so pivotal? Peter trusts and obeys God by inviting three Gentiles into his house and then traveling to the house of Cornelius, a Gentile. World history turns on pivotal moments. What Peter did looks like us. It's no big deal. But let me tell you, Christianity stood in the balance as Peter stood at the door face to face with three Gentiles and did the unlawful thing. He invited them in as his guests and he lodged them. He gave them lodging for the night. You won't find this pivotal moment noted in any world history textbook. But when Peter opened the door to these three Gentiles, in essence, get this, he was opening the door of the gospel to all the Gentiles, which includes us. Huge. This is huge. This is a pivotal moment in church history here. The next day, Peter and his entourage of six Christ followers joined the three Gentiles and they began the 30-mile journey from Caesarea to Joppa. I've often wondered what they talked about. Can you imagine the conversations between seven Jews and three Gentiles along the way to Cornelius' house? I would have loved to have been part of those conversations. Whatever they talked about on that 30-mile trek, it paled in comparison to what happened next here in verses 24 through 26. In the following day, they entered Caesarea. Now Cornelius was waiting for them and had called together his relatives and close friends. As Peter was coming in, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter lifted him up, saying, Stand up, I myself am also a man. And as they talked with him, he went in and found many who had come together. This is astounding. Cornelius' immediate response when he saw Peter coming into his house was to what? Man, he fell down and he worshipped Peter as if he were some sort of deity or angel. Now, just stop here for a moment and think about that. I'm like, what an opportunity for Peter. What an opportunity for Peter to act on his old prejudice and announce, yeah, the big fisherman is here. Kiss my ring. But God, God has radically changed his heart. God has broken down Peter's prejudice. And so Peter lifted up Cornelius saying, stand up. Man, I'm a man just like you. Now that, you understand, that went against everything in his culture and in his history, his religion. They didn't consider Gentiles men just like themselves. No way. And then Peter said something that's truly remarkable that gives us insight as to why he tells Cornelius what he did. And it would have shocked everyone in Cornelius' house when Peter says this in verse 28. You know how unlawful it is for a Jewish man to keep company with or go to one of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any man common 
or unclean. Now, how did God show him that? Got to go back. God showed him that in what? The vision of the sheets coming down. And that's why the vision is not about food or about animals. It's a lesson about people. And now Peter is connecting the dots of what he saw in the vision with this statement right here of what God has shown him and taught him and now broken down his prejudice against the Gentiles when he says, listen, God has shown me that I shouldn't call you a Gentile, Cornelius, in your household something that's uncommon or unclean. Therefore, I came without objection as soon as I was sent for. What we're seeing here is the radical result of God changing Peter's heart toward people who are different than him in heritage and history, different than him in class and in culture, different than him than in race and religion. Peter refused. And here's kind of the summary of this. Notice this in your notes here. Peter refused to be treated by Cornelius as if he were superior. And he refused to treat Cornelius as if he were inferior. And this is the biggest lesson in the world that Peter has learned. Peter has just repudiated both attitudes which human beings often embrace towards one another. God showed that Peter was not a god to be worshipped. And Gentiles were not dogs to be hated. In other words, Peter is not superior to Gentiles. And Cornelius is not inferior to Jews. In fact, let me just stop and say, this is how you know that God has broken down the prejudice in your heart. Remember, we all are prone towards this because we're all prone towards sin. And if you're wondering, man, how do I know if God has broken down prejudice in my heart? You know it when you refuse to think of yourself as superior to people and you refuse to treat people as inferior to yourself. Now let me close with this question. Is prejudice standing in the way of you letting all peoples hear the gospel? This was the wall that was standing in the way of Peter. And perhaps this is standing in your way of going to people that are different than you and letting them hear the gospel that is for all peoples. This is a question we all need to ask and we need to let God search our hearts about. And so let me leave you with two applicational points in relation to this question. Number one, first of all, let us elevate our identity in Christ above our identity in culture and race. Please hear me. God loves the diversity of all peoples. Let me give you a case in point. I, I, I love it. I love that we have Emmanuel and Justinus here in Emmanuel, stand up. You guys stand Look what he's wearing. Is that not beautiful? Yes! Give him a hand. Absolutely. Now, you, thank you. Here, here's what was beautiful. And I, I told Emmanuel this. If you were here for our Celebrate Unplugged, and we, we took time to pray, and we had all our missionaries at different tables, and we gathered around them, laid hands on them, and we prayed. And it was the most beautiful thing. Emmanuel happened to be in 
or let me say, I happened to be in Emmanuel's group. All right, and we were praying together. And so a few people started praying, and Emmanuel starts praying. He starts praying in his mother language, his mother tongue. Emmanuel's from Africa, Nigeria. And he just starts praying. I, had, I didn't have a clue what he was saying, but I knew he was praying to the same God that I worship. And that we have a bond because of Jesus Christ. We are brothers in Christ because the gospel is for all peoples. It was beautiful. I loved it. And so God loves the diversity of all people groups that he has created and he has made. And so God is not asking us to eliminate, if you will, our race and our culture. But God is calling us to elevate our identity in Christ above our identity in culture and race. In Acts chapter 11 and verse 26, it's interesting, the disciples at the church of Antioch, they were first called, at that point in time, Christians. And what's interesting is that this, the church of Antioch, it was a very multicultural church, a very multi-ethnic church, and yet their identity was what? In Christ. They were called Christians. Their identity in Christ became more defining than their cultural identities. What happens when people elevate race? Well, we've seen it in our own nation here in the last two or three years. It almost always turns into a sense of superiority. My race is better than yours. Or inferiority, I'll never measure up. And for some, it turns into an issue of insecurity. You're not treating me with the respect I deserve. And we've seen that play out in our country. True, our identity in culture and race, listen, it does not disappear. We should appreciate it. But when we elevate our identity in Christ, it becomes more defining than our identity in culture and race. And as a result, the unity that we have in our identity in Christ is more significant, it's more weightier, if you will, than any differences we may have in our cultures. So let us elevate our true identities. We are children of God. We are sojourners here on this earth. We are citizens of heaven. And God is our Father. Jesus is our Lord. And so let us elevate that identity above any other identity that we may be attached to. Number two, though, this leads into let us embrace everyone as someone who needs to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. The whole point of Acts 10 is to show us that the gospel is for all peoples, regardless of ethnic identity. And so let us hear, or let all peoples hear the gospel. But this means we have to embrace everyone as someone who needs to hear the gospel. It's somewhat ironic that after 29 verses here in Acts chapter 10, Peter still did not know why God had sent him to Cornelius' house. Peter, he actually had to ask Cornelius, why am I here? I've come 
Why did you send for me? In fact, look at it. I know some of you may not believe me. Look at it. Verse 29 it says, I asked them, for what reason have you sent for me? So why did God send Peter to Cornelius' house? Folks, for one reason and one reason only. To let him hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. Cornelius tells Peter in verse 33, So I sent to you immediately, and you have done well, Peter, to come. Now therefore, we are all present before God to what? To what? To hear. To hear what? To hear all the things commanded you by God. And it's in reference to the Gospel of Jesus Christ. It's beautiful. Peter had to go to all people so that all peoples could hear the Gospel. God wants to send us to all peoples. You say, why? Because God wants to save all peoples in the world. And the question is, What's standing in your way? What, what's standing in your way of going? What's standing in your way of going locally to people that God places in your circle of influence? And perhaps, what is standing in your way for some of you of going globally? Whether you're young, Teens, look at me. Whether you're young or on the older side, perhaps God is calling some of you to go globally to people who are different than you in race and culture, history and heritage, class and culture. Regardless, God is calling all of us to go to people for one sole purpose, so that they can hear the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. So what's standing in your way? Is it prejudice? Is prejudice standing in your way? Then let God change your heart towards people so that you might begin to embrace everyone as someone who needs to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You. Oh, how we thank You that Your Gospel is for all peoples, regardless of ethnic identity. And Father, we thank You that Your salvation in Jesus Christ is for all of us here today, and that no one is beyond Your saving grace. Father, search our hearts for any prejudice that may be standing in the way of letting all peoples hear the Gospel. And may we confess it and then receive your amazing grace in the forgiveness of our sins. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The praise team's going to sing, and as they do, will you respond? Will you respond in a manner in which God is speaking to you and calling out to you? What's standing in your way? of going and letting them hear.